So we've been reading, uh, we've gone through chapter 1, 2, and 3 of 1 Peter. And remember, just in the context of this, is that it's written during that, uh, the persecution diaspora. So the, where everybody's been scattered because of persecution after the fire in Rome that burned up 75% of Rome, the, the stories are that Nero set the fires that he sang or played his fiddle or whatever while it was burning. All that started the persecution that lasts. And actually, this is one of the worst persecutions, and it and it set in motion about 200 years of persecution. So chapter 4 starts with... Uh, Talking about suffering, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, and we're all familiar with what he's talking about there, arm yourselves also with the same mind. What if, if, I, if, if I tell Jimmy, Jimmy, arm yourself, what am I probably, I mean, what does that make you think of? What am I telling him to do? Armor. Yeah. Prepare yourself. For what? If I say arm yourself, what am I? What war. are you preparing yourself for? What a battle, a battle, war, yeah. So w- when he's saying arm yourself, uh, he's talking about a battle that's going on. But it's you know, so if I tell Jimmy arm yourself, I'm pretty sure he knows that I mean get a gun. <laughs> Paul is talking about something that's just as effective in what they're going through this persecution that they're going through. Get yourself ready for that kind of a fight. Arm yourselves with the same mind that Jesus had. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Um, I think that when he says suffered in the flesh, he's talking about the ultimate suffering, which is death. If you're dead, you don't have a problem with sin anymore, right? And and a lot of times when you've gone through a really stressful, hurtful situation, you're not thinking much about sin. You're ta- thinking about recovery. You're not. Uh, so th- that's the context that he's in. Uh, he sees from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in in the flesh. That in in order, I mean, in other words, just living. That he won't spend the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. That's just. And he creates this stark contrast that you can behave yourselves in a lustful way, the lust of the flesh, and that can mean all the sexual things that you think of, but it could also mean just going crazy, eating and doing all, uh, um, yeah, all the different ways that you, you can satisfy those. For we have spent enough of our past, we spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles not, he's not being very nice to the Gentiles right there, is he? Um, when we walked in lewdness, and, and he's lumping himself together. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries. The word for revelries, in, it's a Greek word, and it's orgy. Or, orgy is what it is. And so it's, it's this picture of just people just going crazy. I mean, maybe a little bit like Mardi Gras. Was that last night? Yesterday was Fat Tuesday, wasn't it? Yeah, today's Ash Wednesday. Today is Ash Wednesday. That's when everybody stops messing around. Um, <laughs> and 
That's the picture of all that, just craziness. Uh, This revelries, drinking parties, drunkenness. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. And and they did. People made fun of. Have you ever been made fun of because you didn't go along with the crowd? I think it's... I've, I've had that happen. I've also gone along with the crowd. I'll be honest right there too. I have done that sometimes too. But I've been, also been made fun of because I didn't go along with the crowd and that's what he's talking about. Um, they think it's strange that you do that. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So regardless of what uh, which side you're on, everybody's going to give an account and he's talking about... Uh, the great white throne judgment there. Um, For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Um, I think that he's talking about those who are dead now. So he's talking about the context is persecution. So I think that there he's talking about people have already died. People have already been martyred. Uh, people have died, especially because of persecution. Uh, and they may be uh, judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things, and the end, the word there is not, when when we think the end of all things, I, I always think about uh, the end of a movie, the end. And what that means is, Okay, it's everything's done right now. This word isn't like that. This the Greek word there is the goal of all things. Like when we the the saying something is a means to an end, it doesn't that that saying doesn't talk about the end of a thing. It, it's talking about the goal of a thing. Um, the amplified says compilation of everything. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the the what compilation? Culminate. Well, I'm not saying it right. Culmination. Culmination. Okay. Everything coming together. Okay. Um, But it's in the way of a goal, not in the way of an ending like we think about an ending. Um, Like the point of a... But the end and culmination. Okay. Some people would say this is 70 AD. Some people think God kind of kept two covenants until and gave him 40 years until 70 AD until he cut it off. Okay. I don't agree with that, but I, I still, I don't know what that means. Right. Well, it could, I mean, it, the Bible often talks about Jesus return yeah. that and that day and all, all of those kind of things. So it could mean that the end of that day, but, um, I think it's possible that he may be prophetically not even knowing what he's referring to, knowing that the end, that this, the culmination of the Jewish belief system, and he's already talked about in chapter two, he talked about um, sacri- you're going to make, sac- uh, you're going to offer uh, spiritual sacrifices. That was in chapter three. So you're going to offer spiritual sacrifices. Spiritual is heavy duty underlined right there because there aren't going to be any more kind of sacrifices. Only five, five, four or five years after this, there's going to be zero. 
And from 2,000 years ago to now, there haven't been any more sacrifices, not any animal sacrifices. They're all spiritual sacrifices. So it, it may be that, that, that goal, that the end of the Jewish version of things and now we're into a new the new covenant and all that kind of stuff stuff that one thing closed and we're into another dispensation um but but the end of all things is at hand therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers that's obvious but it not not serious like sober serious like I mean, there's a point to all this. But above all things, have fervent love for one another. That word fervent is stretched. Um, it's, I mean, so the love that we have, sometimes, sometimes don't you know, your love does have to be stretched a little bit for it to work. I mean, it's not easy sometimes. But, and so he's saying, have a fervent love, but one that's co- committed and um, even in difficulty. Have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. That's from Proverbs 10, verse 12. Um, then he says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, as each one has received a gift, and that gift's for the body, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So this this applies to us, that we use our gifts as stewards. What do some people use their gifts for? Show off. Show off? Self. Self, glory. He's going to warn against that in just a second here. Um, But he said, minister your gifts as good stewards. What's a steward? What does a steward do? He's like a manager. Yes. It's someone who's responsible to administer some uh, resource that belongs to someone else. Like Joseph did. Yes. Oh. Joseph and Potter. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good example. That's right. (laughs) Um, Remember, he's... uh, Okay, he's writing this to the church. If anyone speaks... So that's the picture. Minister those gifts. And he says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We have several places where um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 um, at Romans 12, there's several places where there's lists of the gifts that are operating within the church. And he, he talks about speaking and ministering, apparently two different kinds of things. And ministering usually means having taking physical care of somebody. Um, 
like doctrine or nursing, that kind of care is, is that ministry. So he goes on to say, beloved, do not think it's, oh, sorry, I got behind there. Beloved, do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. He's talking about the trials that they're going. And he's talking about, unfortunately, he doesn't talk like there's going to be an end to, to it. He's talking about more trials. Don't think it's strange concerning the trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. He gives a strange, he gives an interesting way of managing the trials that come. I think this is, I, I think First Peter is a timely word for us right now. Uh, some of the t- submitting that he t- we talked about last time, that's good for us to know right now. And I think this is good too, that we manage trials that come, number one, by expecting them, that we're supposed to expect it. Don't, don't think it's strange. Don't go, like, what happened here? Just like, you know, you're standing here and a wave crashes over you. He said, you might as well expect it. Trials are going to come. Jesus told us that. But he said, James puts it this way, when you fall into divers' tongues, testing's trials. Yes. When you fall. In other words, you're walking along and you just fall. <laughs> you're not yes. expecting it. Right. That's right. It's, okay, he's, when those things happen to you, but he also says when yeah. those things happen to you. You should, we're in the world, but not of the world. That's right. So we should be expecting those things. And James, right. James's brother, Jesus, Jesus, said, you, in this world, you will have trials. Right. So be and, good cheer, I've overcome. Amen. Amen. That's the rest of that whole statement, isn't it? <laughs> But yes. that's the deal. We don't have to, we don't have to fall apart over them, but they're gonna come. Don't be, but he says, don't think, what does he say? Don't think it's strange concerning those trials as though some strange things happen to you. It's, it's something I'd expected that it's gonna happen. And certainly once this persecution started, they can just expect that that's gonna happen. They've all experienced it. Expect the unexpected. Okay, that's right. But rejoice, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. There's gonna be another side of it, or not another side, there's gonna be an other side of this, and he's given a hint to what it is right there, that his glory will be revealed. Um, and so this is about suffering for doing the right thing. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. Well, Jesus in, in Hebrews 2 and 19, it says, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted. Being what? Tempted. tempted. Right. Jesus was tempted right. in all points. He said that he could secure them that are tempted. So he's able to get us out of temptation. That's right. 
And the temptation when persecution goes on is what? To run away from it. Get a, get, do, do anything to make that not happen. And he's saying, identify with Christ in that. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit and glory of God rests upon you. And think about the martyrs. I don't know if y'all read about the martyrs that suffered for their faith, but I, some of them sang hymns as they're dying. And, um, and I mean, obviously the spirit of glory and of God did rest upon them. Um, and he talks about their blaspheme. So he says, but let, let none of you suffer. Okay. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. But, and that's a big word right there. But let, so he's saying, hold on a minute, but look at what's going on to you. And there's some things that you need to be, that you resist. And that one of them is, don't uh, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's business. Whoa. A meddler is that word. Meddler in other people's business. Oh, my goodness. That's right up there with murderer. <laughs> okay. I know. It's in that same list with all these terrible things is somebody that just gets in other people's business. Ooh. Okay. What? A... So when we're being persecuted for one thing or another, I believe that what he's saying right here is don't let somebody call you names like that. Don't let somebody put those kind of labels on you. And we're supposed to say, hold on a minute, and we get to straighten that thing, that kind of thing out. If you want to me to suffer because I love Jesus, that's one thing. But suffer because you're going to tell lies about me, that's, some, that's something different. This says and, infringing on others' rights. Mm -hmm. That's Getting in meddling. Yes, that's right. That's right. on their rights. And, okay, what does that look like? You don't have the right to tell me what to do with my body. <laughs> well, yes, I do. <laughs> Sarge, what does that look like? <coughs> one, man, one man's opinion. Okay. You know when Paul said, I wish that you were even as I am? Okay. And he talked about <coughs> widowers, you know, not going from house to house and spreading yeah. God's gossip. Yes, yeah. That the older Christians male or female, should instruct the younger ones. Yep. Paul talked about that in Timothy that we just not, got finished with. Not take their time that they have left right. and go after the senses of the world, right. but strengthen the body of Christ with what time you have left. That's good. Right. Yeah, that's good. Um. <clears throat> There are some places where we, as Christians, operate and, and what I've seen is people want to insinuate a Christian um, perspective on a situation that 
They have no business doing that. Like when I work for somebody at a machine shop or something like that, I don't have a, I don't have a right to impose, uh, ideas there about anything, politics or religion or stuff like that. I'm, I need to work at that place and do, and give that person a good, good day's work for a good day's wage. Um, and so that's, I think that's some of the busybody stuff. Don't get involved in, impose yourself in matters. What? You need to be an example, but not be a busybody. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Um, so I, I believe that he's telling them, he said, expect that trouble's going to come. Rejoice to the extent that you can, that you're identifying with Christ's suffering, but evaluate situation where you go, hold on, that ain't what's happening here. As long as you're not interfering and being a busybody, then you don't, you don't have to take those accusations. It's yeah. like it's like thoughts that come to us, and you can stop and say, "No, that's not my thought." Okay, that's good. Because the devil, as some people say, a bird can fly over your head, <laughs> but you don't have to let it nest there. Good, that's good. In our thoughts, <laughs> that's right. That's good. Okay. Yet, verse sixteen. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory. Glorify God in this matter. So being accused of being dishonest or whatever is one thing. But uh, i that's one of the first times that Christian is used to describe followers of Christ. Christian. And it's uh, the word there is the Greek word Christianos. Which, I mean, so it's actually using the word that we recognize as and it, little Christ. And that was a... That was a derogatory term that they used. They would go, those little, little Christians. We actually, it, it's been made a derogatory term in the last decade or so too. That Christian has become a term that is meant to bring, bring shame on us. And if we're accused, of being Christians and and suffer for it, that's another thing. And we're we get to glorify God in that, as long as we do glorify God in it. Because you, I mean, if you're a spirit, Jesus loves you, that's that's probably not. That's one of the pictures that they're using to talk about Christians. And if you think about it, in a lot of times when. Um, newsworthy, and I'm using that in a very broad term and with the air quotes I'm doing right now, newsworthy stuff. How do how are Christians often represented? They're re- represented as dumb, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, very unscientific, unenlightened, supposedly. Um, I mean, just ridiculous. And so, it, but if we suffer for being a Christian, we don't have to be ridiculous. We get to defend ourselves against that. But if we're there's legitimately calling us Christians and think that that's a bad thing, then we glorify God when we uh, act honorably in that. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. 
But who do we judge? This whole book. I carry this around all the time. It's a, it's a tape measure. And I carry it all the time. because I And I use it a lot. Um, this, this is a tape measure. But it wasn't meant for me to go to Yvonne and say, how are you measuring up, Yvonne? And measure Greg or whoever in here. How are you measuring up? It's not meant to measure others. It's meant to measure me. And so judgment starts at the house of God and and in relation to all these things he's just been talking about, we need to judge ourselves uh, uh, what's going on. Are we being accused unfairly? Are we being accused? Uh, 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 is it a persecution kind of a thing? Judgment should begin at the house of God and it begins first with us. Begins with us first. What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? That's from Proverbs 11. And it reads a little bit, um, it reads a little bit different in the King James. Uh, they're actually quoting the Septuagint, the work of the 70, because most Jews during Jesus and the beginning of the early church, they didn't use Hebrew scriptures. They used the Greek version of the Old Testament, which was called the Septuagint, which means the work of the 70. 70 um, scribes and Pharisees put all this, put this Greek version of it together because a lot of them forgot Hebrew and that those scriptures were going all over the known world because after Alexander the Great, who spread the Greek culture everywhere, the gospel, the, the Old Testament also went everywhere. So in uh, chapter 11, verse 3 of Proverbs, it says, it says, the integrity of the op upright will guide them but the perversity of the unfaithful... Wait, 11? 31. Say again? 31. 1131? Yes. Oh. <laughs> I, I write that down wrong? Oh, yeah. Yeah. If the righteous will be recompensed on earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner? So if you, if you, get, if you get in trouble for for doing the right thing, the righteous, yeah. and they were going through that. They were being persecuted for doing righteous things. How much more will the ungodly and the sinner be judged? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. The word commit there is is like a banking term to deposit it in a FDIC insured account that that is covered and safe. And it, who's safer to trust it to than to God, who is the Creator of us, the creation? So he's that the picture he has is make a deposit of your faithfulness to someone who can guarantee it um, 
like, like in a bank, because that's the kind of deposit you're making. And then uh, chapter 5, he's winding up his, his letter. It's not super long. With, it, with the serious instructions, it's a little bit like the instructions that Paul was giving Timothy at the end about how people are supposed to behave. And so he says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 5, the elders, that's important because <laughs> I grew up in a place where we didn't have elders, we had one elder. I grew up in a denomination where it was taught there's only one leader. And that, so the, that, that's not what happened because in my denomination, we had a group called the, called the deacons and they all were, they all led. But that was a trick of words there because they didn't recognize elders. I mean, they, not officially, they had them, but they didn't call them that. And they should have called them that because it is scriptural right here. And if they'd been in their right, uh, the right place, it, there would have probably been better leadership going on. So he calls it, he uses the plural word there. The elders who are among you, I exhort. Um, I who am a fellow elder, I think it's interesting because he lowers himself a little bit. I mean, he's an apostle. He can t boss the whole thing, but he's saying, I, I identifying with you as just another leader, a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Do you think he really was a witness? Do you, what did he see Jesus on the cross? It's very possible because just months later, he was there when Stephen was stoned. Um, and he was there in opposition to, a, he was with groups who were in opposition to the ministry of Jesus. So um, it's possible that he was there even when Jesus was crucified. Can I read what the Amplified says? Go ahead. He said, I warn and counsel the elders among you, the pastors and spiritual guides of the church, as a fellow elder and as an eyewitness called to testify of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a sharer in the glory, the honor, and the splendor that is to be revealed, disclosed, unfolded. Okay. It's also possible that the sufferings of Christ, Christian sufferings, could mean all the persecution that he had created, even at the very beginning of the church when he was dragging people to prison. And and uh, are you talking about Peter or Paul? Paul. Peter. Peter too. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> keep doing, doing that. I I'm sorry, y'all. I did that again. But it sounds like Paul. Peter. <laughs> uh, oh, good. I told y'all in the very beginning when uh, chapter one. I would mix Peter and Paul together. So all that's wrong. All that's wrong. Peter was there witnessing the yes. sufferings of I, Jesus. Yes, he also is a partaker because by this time this happened, Peter's wife probably is a martyr. Um, Peter went to Rome and lived there some, um, but his wife probably has been martyred by this time for being a Christian. So he saw Jesus' sufferings on the cross, but he's also seen Christian sufferings, also a partaker of the glory with that will be revealed. And so he tells these elders, that's all that was like a preliminary statement. 
given them in their instructions. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but like, this is like when compulsion is what you have to do when you ask your uh, teenagers to take out the trash or to clean up their room or something, and you have to force them to do it. Why? Because they're lazy, because they'd rather be doing something else. And that compulsion, it, and the picture is the exact same. Don't be an, a leader of the flock by compulsion that somebody has to get there and kick you in the hiney to get you moving to be uh, the kind of leader that you're supposed to be. But willingly, that's one thing. Don't, for, first of all, don't have to be forced to be a good leader. Do it willingly. Number two, not for dishonest gain. Why did he, why would he have to tell them not for dishonest gain? Because a lot of them were doing it for that reason. There's a lot, uh, you know, all through the book of Acts, we've, we see it starting. Uh, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted you. Y'all, so many times I've seen pastors do these three things. Be lazy and get um, just unmotivated. They have to be kicked in the hiney to do something to do ministry, to do uh, uh, the work of the gospel. So I've seen pastors do that. I've seen pastors be dishonest and they're in the job just to try to get uh, money and to fleece the flock, uh, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you. I, I, I've just seen that time and time again. Be controlling, tell you what kind of car you can drive, tell you whether you can watch TV or not, et cetera, et cetera. And, and typically all those people drove whatever car they wanted to drive and they drove and they watched TV and I'm talking about some of those denominations that you're probably familiar with. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but examples to the flock so that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away, an eternal reward. And he's been talking about that all through the book, that there's temporary rewards and there's eternal rewards. When I think, the picture that I have of this, people have talked about the pastor being a shepherd. And I've always had communicated this picture that I saw, which is the pastor is not, I know he is a shepherd, but he's also a sheep. At the same time, he's a shepherd. So the pastor is more like the sheep that has a bell on, and where they, that bell dings wherever they go and people can follow that shepherd to the food, to the water, to whatever. But the pastor's a sheep. And I know that he is the under shepherd of the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. But, but that picture, I believe, is what, because he calls him the chief shepherd. That's a picture kind of that Paul's creating here is that you're, you're also a sheep who leads the sheep. What did I say, Paul, again? Oh, my gosh. Y'all are going to have to start throwing things at me. Okay. Peter. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves. Remember in chapter 2, there were three passages where he said, submit yourself this way, submit yourself that way. Um, likewise, you younger people, sub I don't know if that was an afterthought. By the way, I talked about submission, but and you younger people, y'all need to submit too. 
Sorry, I wasn't looking at you, Chrissy, when I was saying you younger people. Um, Talking about Generation Z. <laughs> talked about it in chapter 2. He said, likewise, younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. So he's told the elders how they're supposed to lead. And now he's telling these younger people how they're supposed to follow. Submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Which is the picture that I talk about in chapter 5 and 6 of Ephesians. The circle of submission. They're supposed to submit themselves and uh, be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 3.34, look it up. It says, God, res- God scorns the scorner, is what the um, Proverbs says, but gives grace to the humble. But let's focus on how Peter interprets. Peter, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I said the right one. Um, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, humbles yourselves under the mighty hand of God. It, this is still in the context of persecution. When, you, when persecution comes, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So that's the, that is the recipe for how you deal with persecution. Humble yourselves that he may exalt you. Pastor Dwayne uh, teaches this, and I love how he puts it, that if you take the job of exalting yourself, you're, because of what you're what's supposed to happen, that means you humble yourself, then God will lift you up. He'll exalt you. But if you take the job of exalting yourself, what job is God going to take to humble you? I've been there. That is how it works. Um, and I think that's good. And then cast your care upon him for he cares for you. Um, as Have y'all ever experienced that? Just the knowledge that God loves, God loves me. And there is comfort in that. Cast, so cast your care on him. He cares for you. Be, be And he's winding up. Be sober. Oops. Be, uh, God, oh man, sorry. Be sober, be vigilant. So, that word sober right there, self controlled. Be sober, be vigilant, which means watchful, because your adversary, the devil, who's the devil? The slanderer, the false accuser. He goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. This is still in the context of persecution. So he's saying, that's the devil that's doing all that stuff. He comes and accuses you uh, falsely. Uh, He's the slanderer. So keep on watch for him. Um, Seeking whom he may devour. This is a a contrast Remember, compare, compare and contrast when you're in junior high. Um, he's comparing, contrasting the work that the devil does. The, the work of the devil, which is diabolos, the slanderer, is to see who he may devour. Devour, eat up, tear down. Resist him steadfast in faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world, which is true. 
all over the world, everybody suffers worse than we suffer. I mean, stuff that's going on yeah. in Arab countries and in China, uh, the sufferings experienced by the, your brotherhood all around the world, but may the God of grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you suffered a while, then perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. That's the contrast. The devil does this stuff and tears you down, uh, devours you like a lion. That's the work that the devil does. But God does this other stuff, build up, building us up and establishing us, settling us, giving us peace. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's his soft ending right there. But that contrast is, this is the work the devil does. And some of that comes in the form of persecution. And to see if he can eat you up. And if, But if we, uh, if we stick with God, he takes care of us. And the ending here, just a couple of verses. By Sylvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I've written to you briefly. What he's saying there is Sylvanus wrote this stuff down. Sylvanus was a partner in the ministry. He's talked about several times in Acts. He, Sylvanus was a, um, a, Ro a Greek Roman and um, apparently was very uh, educated. And so Peter uses him. Some people say that maybe the weird Greek that Peter uses may have been Sylvanus the whole time. And that's why it, it, some of the expressions have been cleaned up and made a, sound a little smarter. That was Sylvanus. By Sylvanus, I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, Babylon has been has, is a name that's re, used to refer to, I mean, Babylon was an actual place in Iraq. Is it Iraq or Iran? Iraq. Iraq. Babylon is a was a real place, um, and it, but it's always it's usually talked about as something evil. In the um, in the book of Revelation, when it talks about the whore of Babylon, it it's taught it's probably talking about a, a version of Christianity that is has been corrupted, and. Uh, so, but this is talking about something different. It's a code word that's being used because these people are being persecuted and the church in wherever that is, she who is in Babylon, the church, and they think this is probably Rome. So the church in Rome where Peter was sends their greetings. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you. So does Mark, my son, that's John Mark, the one who wrote the book of Mark that followed Paul and in, was involved in his ministry, but Paul got upset with him because he chickened out a little bit or didn't stand strong. And so he ended up going with Barnabas for a while. But that's that John Mark. But later he sent for him. Yes, he sent for him. Paul sent for him. But Peter probably helped Mark because Mark wasn't around when Jesus was alive. Uh, he wasn't involved in things then. So he, so the gospel of Mark probably was written with Peter's help. 
So Mark uh, also greets him. So does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you, all, to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. That's the heart ending right there. Um, greet one another with the kiss of love. No, thank you. <laughs> um, I don't. We're not going to be kissing around here. Not too much, anyway. Um, so, but he. Um, the, I don't know if he means a literal kiss or if he just means love each other. But that's the well, most they, important they, thing. That was true. The foreign people, they, they kiss each other. That's right. They greet in each France, other even now. In so, France, they kiss each other on, the, on the both cheeks. cheeks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> We've uh, known people I'm who they all kissed on the <laughs> lips. I mean, we had Her friends. family does that. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. I'm okay. talking about in. Our, we had we have some friends who, when they were in a different church, they kiss oh. everybody in church kissed, and some and they would kiss on the lips, but and it wasn't like. I mean, it was just a kiss. Yes. But I just thought I don't want to kiss. I don't want to kiss somebody on the lips that I that I. Well, to Westerners, it means a different thing. In yeah, other places, true. it's not this. Uh, in fact, in Arab countries, they'll kiss each other on both cheeks. Um, well, it, that's it, it's just a greeting. Yeah, and, it, and so that's and that's saying. what that's what Peter's talking about there. But the important thing is that you love each other, especially in the midst of persecution. You got to love each other. I guarantee you, when persecution hits us in a more real way than we've ever known before, and we think that we're being persecuted now, it ain't. That's not the way it is. When that happens, it ain't going to matter what denomination we're part of or undenomination we are. When that happens, all of the minute differences between us, those walls will fall down and we will will recognize each other and be able to love each other in a way that we haven't ever well, look before. look at Israel, how that they had been at each other for how many years now. And when this war broke out, they all come together. Yeah. Yeah, they were headed for civil war. They were yeah. days away from yeah. civil war. Yes. Yeah, that was... Yeah. So... And that's always been that way too. In the Middle East, there's always been war. But even in the days, in the Old Testament days, when things were new, the... Jews fought against each other. The northern tribes fought against the southern tribes. It's terrible. But when, but when, then when you come over under attack from the outside, it's like I I can beat up my brother, but you can't beat up my brother. It's that kind of thing. When that fine, when when persecution really comes, the, the differences get smaller and smaller. So. Any other comment? Corrections? Complaints? I have an 800 let number me, you can let call. Let me ask you this question. Luke, <laughs> Luke the physician, do you think he interviewed Mary and wrote yes. down everything that Mary told yeah, him? Yeah, that's how he knew all the stuff. And this is the same, in sense, the same thing as Mark. Yes, that he, Peter. that he most likely gave... Peter, the background information that nobody else would have known. Yeah, because Matthew was an eyewitness. John, yes. John was an eyewitness. 
Luke comes along later and gets all that information from Mary, things that she thought. Yeah. There's no other way to know those. Yeah. But Mary was pretty tight with the disciples, especially John, but um, that put her in tight with the, the rest of the disciples too. So I do believe that. That's the only way that he could know those things. That's the only way he could know what she thought. And she was there on the day of Pentecost and filled with the Spirit just like the others. Amen. And people talk about her being incarnated or whatever that word is. What is it? <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, um, that's they, not true. They call her a co-redeemer yeah. and all the different things that... I don't I'll, know I'll say it, the Catholic Church... Uh, um, I don't mean to disparage that because the Catholic Church isn't responsible for that. The leaders in the church are yeah. responsible yeah. for it. And they've come up with some weird, weird ideas about Mary and her and elevated her position that she would turn over in her grave and she's in a grave yeah. somewhere. Um, she would turn over in a grave if she knew they were doing what they're doing. Right. So was uh, I was a member of a denomination that never mentioned Mary. Well, because and it was because we wanted to distance ourselves from all the those ideas Traffic's and uh, got in the ditch the other way. Yeah, yes, yes, that's right. Through the through the baby out with the bathwater. Right. Yeah. Right. A lot of ideas got hijacked in 1300 when when the Catholic Church took things <laughs> off in weird directions, like and nobody could. Uh, the priest couldn't get married anymore, and it's caused so many problems yes, in the church today. But most of the Catholic people that I know, they go, yeah, we're not really into Mary like people think. So yeah. um, there, were five, there were five churches <clears throat> the first 12, 1300 years, and the Roman was the biggest you know, was the biggest of those churches. And they mm -hmm. had a schism with the other four, what we call, we call them Orthodox. Right. And so when they thought they were the greatest, that's when they started going off. The scripture says, you think, you know, I leave yourself. You're and go. then they started fighting wars to get rid of the other ones. I'm yeah. just like what we're talking about the Jews did. Yeah. Um, and, but when real persecution comes, that, that goes away. And I think that we're going to see that in the near future. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for revealing yourself in your word. Thank you for what you teach us by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the healing that comes uh, to those who believe and, and operate in faith. And we just claim that right now um, for our own bodies, for those that we care about and those that we've listed. Um, healing. Um, and as we go from this place, that you'll continue to minister healing to us and to keep our bodies well and and make them more well. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for being here. God bless you.